Today on Ag News Daily. Their soybean crop is harvested. It was a record one. It was a big one. Listeners, welcome back to a Market Monday edition of the Ag News Daily Podcast, July 17th, 2023. Going to be talking Black Sea grain deal here in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's get to some headlines. It's Jennifer and I today. How are you doing, Jennifer? I am doing pretty great. The weather here in Ames has been fantastic today, so I can't complain. Yeah, we've had a lot of people talking uh, out in the public, at least in our area. It's been a pretty mild summer. Of course, a lot of that's due to uh, the change of the weather patterns. But yes, we've not had any extreme heat, unlike our friends in Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. National Weather Service says heat indexes in central and southern Kansas could get as high as 107 degrees, Oklahoma and Arkansas up to 110. Of course, Death Valley could also uh, see record temperatures again, greater than 120 degrees. We still have air quality alerts that have been issued for Iowa, part of Illinois. Uh, we've been having very haziness coming here from the wildfires. The record-breaking U.S. heat wave is still expected to move eastern this week. We talked about the triple-digit temperatures that were in California, Nevada, uh, Utah, and Arizona. So that's where some of these states that I just reported on have that pushing. And Unfortunately, the Canadian wildfires have now burned nearly 25 million acres, and there are 883 different blazes. So this is why it is difficult for Canadian forces to get in front of this. States right now that it is absolutely burning out of control, and there is no current method to stopping this. So unfortunately, I think it's going to be here for a little while. Well, that is not any great news for us or for them, but looking out out west, our friends in Washington have some new rules put in place for the heat that they are experiencing. With the exclusion of firefighters and other personnel responding to emergencies, the Washington State Department of Labor and Industries is now issuing a permanent heat rule effective July 17th, so today, for outdoor workers. This comes after two years of temporary emergency rules focusing on the well-being of outdoor workers. The goal is to address minimum requirements to prevent heat-related illness and reduce traumatic injuries for outdoor workers associated with heat exposure. The new rules encourages cool-down rest periods that require employers to provide cool water and shade when temperatures are above 80 degrees. The requirements also include workers being able to take paid rest breaks as needed And for workers who are either new or returning to work after being absent for more than a week, must have time to acclimate to the heat. This means that those workers would need to be monitored by other people working. Temperatures over 100 degrees require a break every hour for 15 minutes, and temperatures over 90 degrees would require paid rest breaks for 10 minutes every two hours. The law also requires employers to always offer suitably cool drinking water to their workers and provide access to shade at all times when workers are present. This article states that full details of the outline of rules can be found in the Washington Industrial Safety and Health Act of 1973 going to chapter 296-307. Yeah, I had also seen that in 
Uh, I don't disagree with special rules in place for working in the heat. It'd be interesting to see how agriculture responds to this. Obviously, the Washington Farm Bureau stated that it was excessive responsibility on the employer, uh, but we'll continue to watch the progress for this. Uh, Weathers also now released part of CRP acres for emergency haying and grazing. On Sunday, they announced the Farm Service Agency will now govern what the USDA has put out as far as ruling. USDA now allows the emergency haying and grazing of CRP acres in drought disaster areas. This is Kansas, Missouri, Nebraska are the three states identified. So you can check with your FSA office to see if your county qualifies. Producers located in the designated areas under the US Drought Monitor, severe drought D2 or worse, will be able to hay after the nesting season is over and have their ground qualify for these natural emergency haying and grazing acres. Under the USDA rules, they can cut the ground and bale that for feedstuffs. We'll see if this drought monitor continues to expand the areas, but right now those that have livestock in those three states can check their FSA office and see if there is relief available for them. Now on my end, we're going to take things more to an international perspective as a war between military factions in Sudan is putting at risk the production of staple crops this year. Reuters spoke to more than a dozen people, including farmers, experts, and aid workers, who reported delays in planting crops such as sorghum and millet, partly due to a lack of credit from banks and the high prices of key inputs such as fertilizers, seeds, and fuel. Four of the farmers that Reuters had spoke to said they may not be able to plant at all before heavy rains expected this month, which is the traditional window for planting. The worsening conditions for farmers suggests a looming hunger crisis could be even worse than the UN and aid workers may have forecast. In May, the United Nations said it estimated that the number of people going hungry in Sudan would rise to 19.1 million by August, from the 16.2 million prior to the conflict which had started in April. Shortages of key staples, exasperated by looting of warehouses in cities like in the capital Khartoum, could further worsen a hunger crisis that has been steadily building in recent years. It could also cripple livelihoods and deprive Sudan of foreign currency needed to import basic commodities as cash crops such as sesame and peanuts accounted for $1.6 billion in export revenues in 2022. According to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization, nearly 65% of Sudan's population of 49 million is engaged in the agricultural sector. While the UN experts say it's too early to officially declare a famine in Sudan, farmers are telling rooters that they believe the situation is already headed in that direction, Tanner. Yeah, that's not great news. We also don't have good news coming out of Russia. Grains and soybeans surged overnight due to Russia saying it was pulling out of the Black Sea Grain Initiative that allows ag products to safely ship from Ukraine. Uh, This agreement was originally brokered a year ago in July and was extended a couple of times. Moscow has long complained that the Western countries and the United Nations haven't held up their end of the agreement involving Russian shipments of ag products including fertilizer. Almost 33 metric tons of ag products were shipped from Ukraine under the agreement. 
that is no longer going to be in place. Corn was by far the largest commodity exported. As we look to see what more could potentially come out of this, Russia stated that this announcement, although came after an attack on a key bridge in the Russian-occupied Crimean Peninsula, it was not the coinciding decision-making factor. The bridge is considered a major artery for supplies, but was not what caused them to back out of this deal. This move was likely to draw up drive up the commodity prices. We'll learn more about that in our discussion here in just a couple of minutes. But the immediate factors is now going to put a lot of the United Nations and other portions that receive these shipments coming out of uh, the Black Sea on high alert. The National Security Advisor for President Joe Biden said, Russia will face serious diplomatic costs for pulling out of the grain deal. If Russia pulls out of this initiative, the rest of the world will look at it and say Russia has turned its back on providing countries in the global south, especially Africa, Latin America, and Asia, the food that they need at affordable prices and will add to war crimes. Unfortunately, some of the agreements concerning Russia have not yet been fulfilled. So the deal has been terminated, said the Kremlin spokesperson. They were quoted stating, as soon as the Russian part of the agreements is fulfilled, the Russian side will return to the implementation of this deal immediately and see where progress sits. So I'm sure we'll learn a lot more about that in our discussion today. Absolutely. But jumping into my last headline of the day for now, about 735 million people worldwide faced chronic hunger in 2022, a figure much higher than before the COVID-19 pandemic in which threatens progress towards a global goal to end world hunger by 2030, said the United Nations last week. A multi-year upward trend in hunger rates leveled off last year as many countries recovered economically from the pandemic, with the war in Ukraine and its pressure on food and energy prices offset some of those gains the UN shared. The result is that an estimated 122 million more people were hungry in 2022 than in 2019, and the world is far off track, as it is quoted, to meet the United Nations Sustainable Development Goal of ending hunger by 2030, said the report. Instead, the report projects that 600 million people will be undernourished in 2030. The main drivers of global hunger in recent years were conflict-driven disruptions to livelihoods, climate extremes that threatened agricultural production, and economic hardship exacerbated by the pandemic. Some parts of the world have seen hunger decline, including South America and most regions in Asia, but the Caribbean, Western Asia, and Africa sees rising hunger levels. Yeah, that is going to be interesting now, especially after the Black Sea grain deal news. Just got a couple more Russia-Ukraine headlines before jumping into markets. Russia said that even though this UN brokered deal with the Black Sea was not a portion of the Crimea bridge linked attack from Ukrainian forces, they did state that uh, this could worsen food security and they are aware of that. The Crimean bridge is linked to the annexation of the peninsula by Russia. Ukraine's security service was responsible for the attack on that bridge. It did leave two people dead as they were crossing the bridge. A top Ukrainian general acknowledged the country is facing difficult conditions on the eastern front as Russian forces are redeploying around Bakhmut. 
And then the Southern Front, heavy Russian attacks wounded multiple people in the Kyrgyzstan region, uh, especially in the area near the nuclear plant. So a lot happening over the weekend between Russia and Ukraine, and it doesn't seem like for the better. But let's see where grains are closing out today. We've got corn uh, down seven cents, almost across all contracts. December 23 contract down seven and a quarter, closing today at 506 and a half. Soybeans uh, up just slightly in every contract. The November soybeans contract up seven and a half to close at 1378 and a quarter. Wheat, where we thought we'd see a lot larger impact is settling at the end of the day. We've got the December wheat contract down five and a half to close at 675 even. We had seen a lot more movement in those markets earlier today. Live cattle basically even on the day to down October's live cattle contract at 182.25. Feeder cattle contract up two and a quarter almost across all contracts. September feeder cattle 251.42. Lean hogs mixed trading the front months higher. August though it was down uh, one and a quarter today closing at 94.77. So let's get into that Market Monday conversation right now. Here we are, Market Monday. We have Arlen Suderman here, Chief Commodities Economist for StoneX. Uh, welcome back to the, the podcast here, Arlen. Uh, it's good to be back with you again. Well, we're not going to, oh yeah, we appreciate that. We're not going to get too deep into this without talking about the Black Sea grain deal. So let's make that the first topic of consideration. What have we learned now after that announcement this morning? We learned that the market really doesn't care, if, if, uh, if I can say that and it comes across right. Um, it certainly does make a difference. But from a market standpoint, it's been anticipating this for quite some time. I guess you could say it's priced in. We did go higher on Sunday night as a result of Russia officially announcing that they are withdrawing from the agreement. But as soon as the day trade started in the United States, we sold off those gains pretty quickly. And it's largely because we don't have a shortage of wheat available in the market because Russia is dumping a lot of cheap wheat onto the world market. And the other commodity, which actually uh, Ukraine was using the initiative to ship about twice as much corn as it were wheat, um, we have plenty of corn available in the world right now, too, because of the massive harvest that Brazil is currently engaged in and dumping that on the world market at a relatively low cost relative to the rest of the world. So since there's not an actual shortage of grain at this time, the market traded lower. In other words, the end of the deal doesn't make a difference right now as far as it's concerned. So since wheat isn't going to be that severely impacted here, at least it appears in the short term. What could we see for the wheat market going forward? Are we tracking harvest progress or what's going to be the next big hurdle there? Well, as you look at the wheat market, um, we've become content again with relatively snug world supplies of milling wheat. Uh, the major exporter supplies are, are relatively small from a historical standpoint. And so we're probably going to continue. That'll provide some support longer term. The U.S. is still the kind of the residual market of the world. So our exports are going to struggle over the coming year unless we see enough shortfalls and other major competitors that the world has to come here. Now, as, as we look at uh, available supplies in the world, 
turning around and increasing anytime soon, it's going to take a period of time in order to do that. Um, now, if in fact we do see something happen that would suddenly reduce the supply coming out of Russia, then that would make a huge difference and that would be a game changer for the wheat market. At this point, we see no indication of that, but the way the war is always is continuing to escalate, we never can count out that possibility that something could happen that would start to slow down or shut off the supplies coming out of Russia. Uh, otherwise, we're, we're watching um, the spring wheat belts in the Northern Plains, in the Canadian prairies where it's been dry in both of those areas. And we're also watching the spring wheat belt in Russia and Kazakhstan where they've had some dryness. Um, they've got some areas with some problems, but so far it doesn't look like a major event, but those are uh, other things that we're keeping an eye on that could impact the wheat markets. Yeah, Arlen, and taking this into the corn direction, what do you see the biggest factors being in the corn market going forward? Probably the number one factor would be the, the poor export demand. If we look at USDA's newly revised export target now, um, down significantly from uh, where we've been, uh, USDA still thinks it's going to jump in the coming year. Uh, which I disagree with. Uh, I don't see that big a significant jump, but if you look at where we're at at 1.65 billion bushels of corn exports, we're still not exporting at a pace fast enough in order to even hit that target. So we could see additional cuts in that. And then when you see USDA calling for an export target for the next year of 450 million bushels larger than this year, I, I, I just don't see it. So export demand is the big problem. And then when you look at feed usage, USDA has a big increase in feed usage for the coming year. And uh, obviously our livestock are still eating, but we have fewer of them. If we look at the cattle market and the number of cattle expected to be on feed over the coming year, overall beef production is expected to be down at least 9% in 2024. And pork production is expected to be, is expected to be flat, but we're still seeing some pretty good um, south slaughter numbers suggesting that maybe we're contracting the, herd, the breeding herd there as well. And so um, I think between export and feed usage, corn demand is going to struggle over the coming year and USDA is really not factoring that in. A lot of people are focused on supply side and I understand that because it's July and when it's July, you're thinking of what's the crop look like. Um, but regardless of what this crop looks like, I think longer term, our real concern is a poor demand and that's largely because of Brazil's expansion of production. And I know that that's a key major factor, but we certainly have a lot of listeners sending us pictures of drought stricken areas. We've obviously got the USDA releasing CRP for grazing and baling in a couple of key drought stricken states. How's American weather going to shape up this corn and soybean market? Well, obviously that does play a factor, and this is the time of year to be thinking about that as we look at this growing season, uh, switching into an El Nino, going through the transition of it, it did eventually turn into what we would typically expect out of an El Nino summer with a northwesterly flow that gives us thunderstorm clusters um, that are riding down that northwesterly flow that also brings in a more mild temperatures 
typical. We have periodic warm-ups at overall a mild summer, uh, and that's expected to continue into August. The problem is the transition took a little bit longer than forecasters first thought. They looked at the tremendous speed at which this El Nino was developing, and they thought surely this transition would be shorter than most years. And it, and in fact, it, the transition took place about three weeks later than what was anticipated. And that was a critical three weeks for the corn and soybean crops. So now the question is, with the improved weather pattern we're currently in, how much can we allow those crops to heal? How much restoration of that yield potential can we get? 1992, we saw some tremendous restoration of the yield uh, and we ended up with above trend yields. But I think that's the outlier. I think we put the crops under more stress this year than we did in 1992 during the month of June. And so I, I think we're looking at below trend yields. The question is how much below trend? And that's really gonna be determined here over the next six weeks or so for both the corn and the soybean crops. I'm probably a little bit more concerned about the soybean crop than I am the corn crop at this point. Uh, as a former agronomist who walked a lot of fields before engaging in the, my current work as a market analyst, uh, I, I fully expected that soybean crop would be able to respond well to the improved weather and then August would make the crop. But um, when I look back at the data, and look at crop ratings in June at the time when we had the lowest ratings. In other years when it was that low, we saw one above trend yield in 1992. We saw uh, one trend yield and we saw five below trend yields. And I think as we look at the slow way, to, slow way in which this crop is recovering with the improved weather, I think the soybean crop uh, must've been dinged harder than we thought. We do have some areas of corn that have also been dinged pretty good and are hurting, but the market's gonna be focused on the national picture. And from a national standpoint so far, the crop rating suggests that while we took a hit in June that we are recovering nicely and it's gonna come back to grain fill, how big a kernels can we develop on the ed ear to make up for some of the yield that we lost in June. And that's going to be the key going forward. Yeah, and taking this topic more to the global south, how has the weather been for growing South American crops? Well, Argentina has finally um, gotten through its uh, La Nina supported droughts. Uh, so as we go into an El Nino now, it should see much improved growing conditions going forward. Uh, it's winter time down there. And so right now it's their winter wheat crop and their winter wheat crop looks to be shortened again because of the drought and, and the slow start to the season. But as we go into the spring and the corn and soybeans, they should have better production potential for the year ahead. As for Brazil, uh, their soybean crop is harvested. It was a record one. It was a big one made up for a lot of the loss. In fact, the, the increase in Brazilian soybean production this past year exceeded what exceeded the total of soybeans that we sent to China last year. Um, that was the, that big of an increase in Brazilian production and soybeans. When you look at corn production, it's a record crop as well. Their safrina crop makes up about three quarters of their crop 
overall, that's their winter crop. They're right now a little better than a third harvested of that crop. Yields have been tremendous, absolutely tremendous for them. So um, if you look at their lack of storage availability, they have to dump it onto the market. The farmers have been selling it at a very slow pace relative to normal, though dragging their feet on selling it because they are bleeding a lot of red ink because their basis levels are very poor right now because of the large supply surplus of corn and soybeans they have in the country. That makes them the cheapest supply of corn and soybeans in the world very easily and therefore that's why they're taking all the business. But they have big crops and with an El Nino they should do well again next year as well as the current thinking. So as we get ready to wrap up the conversation today let's hit the meats. Let's go both uh, talk live cattle and pork markets as we close out today. Yeah, as we look at the hog market, it's been a very interesting summer overall because we had such an abundance of supply. Uh, and then we we had the, the Prop 12 um, in uh, California, and there was a lot of questions about that. And then the extension was allowed that as long as they had it in the state by July 1, they would have six months in order to use those supplies. So we saw retailers really booking up on supplies uh, and as we got into June. And so that really started bringing up the product market and caught other uh, customers in the other 49 states off guard and they were not buying up supplies and so now they're caught short in supply. So we're seeing a very strong product market that had previously been extremely weak that's been helping support um, the margins for slaughter, that's been helping support demand for the hogs. Um, and so that's been a positive and an unexpected rally we've seen on the cattle market, very tight supplies of cattle, uh, probably tightening up a little bit faster than what we anticipated, aided by the, the winter adverse winter weather in the feedlot belt. And so supplies are tight. Uh, we are starting to move down the value chain with the consumer, but we still have more work to do in that regard. We have cut exports because of our high prices relative to the rest of the world, but we're still tight. Uh, this is normally the time of the year when we see uh, both live cattle futures and cash cattle prices, as well as product prices uh, uh, at our weakest time of the year. Well, the product market's been falling sharply, but from very high levels, uh, the cash market remained quite strong and, and the board put in new record high closes uh, to close out the week last week. So it's a time of year when we should be weak and we're strong because of those tight supplies. Well, Alan, this has been a pleasure. I know our listeners always enjoy when you jump on. If somebody's new picking you up, what's the best way for them to touch base with you or follow what you've got going on? Over on stonex.com, or they can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle is Arlen, A-R-L-A-N-F-F-101, and they can reach out to me with a direct message there. Awesome. Thank you again, and, and I really appreciate you hanging out with us. Thank you, Tanner and Jennifer. Well, there you go, Jennifer. You and I both survived a market Monday. What a good conversation. Absolutely. It was great to talk with Arlen today. Nice way to get the week kicked off. Listeners, we'll be back every day this week, so don't go too far. Make sure you check us out. But for today, what do you say, Jennifer? Should let the listeners go? Let's let them go. Let's let them go.